Father, we just come and offer our hearts, Father, as a living sacrifice. You tell us that as our act of worship. And, Father, we ask this morning that uh, your Holy Spirit would come in this place and fill your people and speak to us and challenge us and open our eyes and open our hearts to your word. That, Father, you would speak to us about things that we may not even realize that we struggle with. But, Father, uh, we would understand, hear your voice, and respond. God bless us time, bless your word in your name. Amen. You can be seated. Later this summer, I will turn 48 years old. Uh, this year, as a matter of fact, this week is the 30th anniversary of my high school graduation. Uh, this week, 30 years ago, I graduated high school, and I, I never thought that I would be looking back on 30 years. Also, this week, 25 years ago, I graduated college. Uh, all big milestones. In, in January of this year, I celebrated 25 years of being married. Um, all huge points in someone's life. And I, I tell you all that because as I think back on those things and I think that it's been 30 years or, or 25 years or uh, even at being 48, it, I struggle because, you see, I don't feel like what I thought I would feel like at 48 years of age. Uh, I, I, I don't know what I imagined, but to me, 48 was always old. Um, you know, now I know it's relative if you're 17, 48 is old. It seems ancient, but I would warn you that you blink and all of a sudden you're there. And to those of you that are 78 or 68, 48 is young. It's a, a whippersnapper, wet behind the ears still. I understand that. It's relative. But, but I don't, I, I keep thinking that there's going to come a time in my life when I'm going to feel 48, uh, when I thought I would feel 38, um, you know, you, you always go to this idea that there is an expectation when you get in a certain age. I mean, 48 always seemed old. When I got married 25 years ago, my dad was 48 years old. And at that point, my dad seemed old. He was an old man. And no offense, Dad, when you listen to this, uh, but he was old. And um, when I was born, my grandfather was 45, and I, I, he always seemed old. As far as I can remember, he was an old man. And so I guess what I'm saying is I kept waiting or I keep thinking that uh, sometime in my life that, that I would just wake up and feel like a grown-up. I would feel like a 48-year-old or a 35-year-old. And it used to bother me when I was younger because uh, really 35 to 45, I, I just kept thinking that someday I would be grown up. Or at least act like a grown-up, according to my wife. Or at least uh, be grown-up. But that hasn't happened. And I don't know if any of you are like me. I don't know if any of you relate to that. Um, you know, maybe maybe you kind of have felt that way. I've asked friends, you know, that are my age, right? Maybe even a little older. Do, did, did you wake up and all of a sudden feel older? Because, you see, I, in my mind... And in my heart and in my spirit, I still feel like a teenager. I still think uh, like I did when I was a young adult. I still feel uh, like it. And I'm not talking about maturity. Hopefully we all mature. Uh, my wife would tell you I've matured a little uh, since that time. But I'm talking about just our mindset of how we look at the world, the things that we look at, and how we address 
the things of the world. Maybe some of you are like that. Have your spouse ever told you uh, you're such a child? Has anyone ever told you you act like a child? Uh, maybe uh, you would be one that uh, at a family gathering, you feel more comfortable going and hanging out with the kids than you do hanging out with the adults. Uh, maybe you're the one that, that they always have to remind that you're supposed to be an adult or you're supposed to act like an adult. Because those are all the things that I hear. I mean, at Christmas... I spend more time playing with my kids' toys than, uh, you know, when my son got Star Wars action figures, that was the coolest thing in the world. I was building a planet, and my wife was having to remind me that those were the kids' toys. Um, and so I say all that because I think it's a mindset. Uh, maybe there's some kindred spirits with me. I, I think, you know, sociologists have now agreed, psychologists have agreed. Um, you know, you hear sayings like 60 is the new 40 and 50 is the new 30. And, uh, you know, I heard somebody on TV the other day say, you're only as old as you feel like you are. You're only as old as you think that you are. Uh, I think there's some truth to that. I, I think it plays into our mindset. I heard a great quote this week, and I, I want to read it to you. Uh, I can relate to it. It says, life is tough. It takes up so much of your time, takes up all your weekends. And what do you get for it at the end of your life? The quote says, I think life would be better if we did it backwards. He said, maybe we should die first and get that out of the way. And then you live 20 years in an old age home, just laying around and enjoying yourself. You get kicked out because you're too young, get a gold watch or some kind of nice gift, and then you go to work. And you work 40 years until you're old enough or young enough to retire. And then when you retire, then with all of your knowledge, you go to college. You goof off all the time and you hang out. Then you get ready for high school and you have fun in high school. Then you go to grade school and then you become a little kid and you play and you have no responsibility. Then you become a baby. And everybody takes care of you. And you go back into the womb. You spend the last nine months floating around. And then you're just a gleam in somebody's eye. I thought, that sounds nice. That would be the way to do it if we could go back through life, wouldn't it? Because all of us have this idea of growing old and what we fear. And, and you think what, what I feared about growing old or what I feared about getting older is I always feared about getting caught into the routine that happens as we do life. Because, see, there's, there's this routine you get into. There's this um, set schedule that all of us deal with the older we get. You know, life, instead of the adventures you had when you're a kid or a young adult, it, all of a sudden it becomes uh, repetitive, the same thing day after day. And what happens, what I fear, is the more it becomes routine, the more it becomes repetitive, we start not taking advantage of the exciting am i losing my mic here and there we we start ignoring some of the things that when we were younger made us excited some of the things that drove us some of the things that motivated us and and as we get caught up in this routine of going day in and day out and many of us do you you get up and you do the same thing every monday and you do the same thing every tuesday and you do the same thing every saturday and you just all of a sudden find yourself in this routine and i i fear that one time you're going to wake up and, and and everything is just going to be past i've heard young couples describe it as being in a rut you get in a rut in your marriage you get in a rut in your workplace uh, we even get in a rut in our spiritual lives uh, Heard somebody describe a rut one time as a coffin with the ends kicked out. Uh, you just feel like you can't go anywhere. You just, you're on this track. And, and I noticed in young adults, uh, especially 35 to 50, we call it a midlife crisis. They start examining their life, and as they get caught up in the routine, 
They, they find that they're not happy with where life has brought them. And so what happens is they try to add things into their life to make life more exciting. Maybe if I got a motorcycle, maybe if I traveled, maybe if I did this or I did that. But the problem with all of that is to change your mindset, external things don't work. It, it's part of your mindset. You can add all that other stuff in, but if you're caught up in this routine, you miss it. You see, as a pastor, all of that relates because I see people doing the same thing in their spiritual life. People of all ages. No matter how long you've been a believer, no matter how long you follow Christ, we all of a sudden, as we mature, get caught into these routines. We get caught in these ruts. We get caught in this area where everything just kind of is the same as it was before. We don't shake things up anymore. We don't change anything. It's like going through the motions. It becomes a ritual. And that once vibrant part of their life, that that excitement that they had about their walk with the Lord is now just the same thing. And all of a sudden, the thing that was once awesome or incredible becomes ordinary. Let me ask you this morning, no matter what age you are, have you ever been in a spiritual rut? you ever gotten yourself caught into a spiritual routine? Well, I think Jesus understood that. I think Jesus knew what was going to happen because in this passage I want to read to you, and you don't, you don't think it normally would be a passage about routines or ruts, but Jesus was addressing it. In Matthew 18, I want you to listen. You've got it on your blue sheet, but I want you to listen to what he says. Uh, it, and, and he gives us a unique answer to what happens when we find ourselves in a routine. He says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus. Jesus is teaching. He said, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? See, they're still struggling about who's going to be in charge, who's going to be head. And Jesus, as he's sitting there doing object lessons, as he always did, some kids were overplaying, he called a kid over to him, a child, and he stood among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like the little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, you see what Jesus was saying? They were saying, who gets to be the best? What Jesus said, listen, I'm not worried about being the best. I'm worried about you staying the course. And the only way that you'll really stay the course spiritually is if you remember to spend time looking through the eyes of a child. Now, he's not talking about behavior. He's not saying you need to have childish behavior. What he's saying is we need to not lose a childlike mindset. You see, there are so many things we can learn from children. I love going down playing with our CDC kids here on a weekly basis because I I go down and watch them because there's so many things that we forget the older we get, that we've blocked out, that we've trained away, that were so important when we were kids that we didn't need to get rid of. And the older we get, the more routine we get in, the more uh, repetitive that life happens, we forget some of those things and especially how they relate to our spiritual life. See, Jesus was saying, unless you change, and if you want to underline something, underline change. Unless you change, you have to make the change. And it's not something you have to learn. It's most of the time something that we have to unlearn. And so real quickly, I just want you to think about what it's like being a child. Some of you have kids or grandkids, and you don't have to think real hard. You, You see it. But I want to give you a couple of characteristics that I think spiritually that we need to learn or go back to being like a child that will help us get out of our rut. So I want you to think about these in the mindset of a child this morning. Uh, The first, and I think probably the most important, is we need to rediscover our childlike wonder. We need to rediscover that sense of awe. I I think in the church, I think Christians as a whole, we lose that awe factor. 
that sense of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 when all of a sudden he saw God and the angels and he said, woe is me. He looked up and there was God. And I think sometimes in our pursuit of intimacy, in our pursuit of having a personal relationship with God, we lose the fact that he is the creator of the world, that he holds our destiny in his hand, that he spoke the stars into being. And in doing so, we lose that, that wow factor. We lose that factor of, of expecting and, and thinking that God is going to do something in our life. Tozier, who's a great pastor, said this. We live in a time when faith is thin because our aching for what is above and beyond has been anesthetized and our capacity for wonder reduced to clever tricks. Think about times that you've been in awe. Kids, they... They can't hide their wonder. They can't hide their awe. Uh, you remember, if you've ever been to Disney World, I can remember the first time we took our kids to Disney World when they really understood. And, you know, and you go in the park and their eyes are this big and they're excited and they go from one thing to the next and the next. They can't stop. You know, look, there's so-and-so, this character. And, you know, then all of a sudden Mickey comes out and, I mean, it, it, you know, they're starstruck and they've been talking. I remember my kids were talking, I can't wait to meet Mickey. I'm going to get his autograph. I'm going to shake his hand. All of a sudden Mickey comes out and they're both going, you know, like shake his hand like they've lost the capacity to do that. That's a sense of awe. It's a sense of wonder. Christmas morning, what, what do we do as parents? You stand back and you wait and you watch your kids run in because they see everything and you look at their eyes and you get so excited seeing it through their eyes. You see, I think in the church, I think as Christians, we've lost our sense of wonder. Church has just become routine. We don't come in and sing and listen and worship with wonder and with all that God that created the universe is taking time right now to speak specifically to you. That He cares enough about you that He knows the number of the hair on your head. We forget that. Remember for those of you that are up here the first time you drove down the parkway? First time you drove off the mountain and you saw that? I mean, I'm from Texas. It, you know, a mountain to us is this. You know? I remember when we drove up here and we drove around the parkway and you could see forever and the beauty. I mean, you, you can't describe it. You want to call people and say, listen, the view is... Right? But now it's become routine. I, I just drive by. You know, the kids say, look, isn't that pretty? And you're like, yeah, okay. Right? Because it just becomes part of our natural order and that happens to us spiritually. We just get so caught up in the day-to-day that we forget the all that comes. We forget the mystery. We forget the majesty. Let me ask you this. Does it still take your breath away to be in the presence of God? When you sing a song, when you hear somebody talk, when you read the Bible about God's love and God's grace and His forgiveness and His majesty, does it overwhelm you? Does it leave you speechless? Why not? See, I think there's a couple of reasons we lose our all as we get older, as we get more mature. Well, the first one is we make faith too predictable. See, we like predictable faith. We like a God who fits in our nice little box. We don't want him to do something out there that's different. We, we like to explain things. We like him to be where we want him to be, where we've all figured it out. See, we stopped opening ourselves up to the unpredictable. Because unpredictable is messy. 
And if there's one thing Christians don't like, if there's one thing churches don't like, is we don't like messy. Because messy makes us uncomfortable. That's why we don't like it when people show emotions. We get uncomfortable. We don't like it when it's messy. I remember in one of the churches I was serving in and pastor was preaching and he was talking about the grace of God and in the middle of the service a lady just got overwhelmed and began to weep and she wasn't just weeping it was an ugly cry she was sobbing and it's all you could hear you could it was so uncomfortable in the place and I remember sitting in the back and and thinking as some people came over and began to pray I remember thinking why are we uncomfortable with this that's what we're here for We're here to have an encounter with God. And sometimes that means I cry. And sometimes that means I shout. And sometimes that means I weep. And you see, we don't want the unpredictable. We've stopped looking for it. And because of that, we've lost our sense of awe. Remember when we first moved here in our house, we had deer everywhere. And, you know, they would come and they would feed. And we'd all gather at the windows and we'd watch the deer. And, you know, after a while, me or the kids would go and say, look, it's deer. And my wife would say, you see them all the time. Why are you so excited about them? Because you see, that's just what happens in life. And it happens in spiritual life. We like to keep things in control, but Jesus was anything but predictable. You can imagine the disciples with Jesus when he overturned the tables. Imagine when Jesus walked up and started hugging the leper. I mean, they were, whoa, whoa. See, we've lost our sense of wonder. See, God moves around outside of our boxes, and we don't recognize it anymore. We lost our sense of awe. And the second reason we lose our sense of awe is we stop dreaming the what ifs. See, we stop thinking about what if. Because we are so caught up in what has. See, when somebody comes to you and says, man, what if we did this? And what if God did this? And in our mind, the first thing we start thinking is that won't work. Didn't work before. We've never done it that way. See, we've stopped allowing church people and Christians to dream. You know, what if God shows up and what if this happens and what if that happens? And, and, and let me ask you, why have you stopped dreaming? People say, well, where is the God of the Bible? It's not where is the God of the Bible. Where are the Christians that dream that God can do what he did in the Bible? And because of all that, because we've stopped dreaming, because we've stopped looking for God to do something, we stop wondering when he shows up. Because usually he doesn't show up outside of our own little vision and our own little box. He does. We just don't see it. See, we need to rediscover a childlike wonder. The second thing I think is important, we need to rediscover a risky curiosity. Childlike wonder, risky curiosity. Now, what does that mean? What, what, what is the number one thing that kids say between the ages of 2 and 10? It's why, right? Why, why, why? And if it's not why, it's why not, Right? Why not? Why not? Why not? You know, one of the things that I discovered answering all of those why nots is that for a lot of the why nots, I didn't have an answer. Why not? Because, right? Because I said so. It's just the way it is. See, and what that caused me to do is re-examine why not? Why can't you do that? Because that's just the way it's always been. And we teach kids to stop asking questions. Listen, questioning and asking is the way you discover. 
And what we do in the church is we tell people, you know, you don't ask questions. This is just the way it is. And don't rock the boat. And, and don't. We need to always be out. Why not? Why? Why? Because that's where we discover truth. And that's where we begin to see wonder. It's where we begin to see the awe. You see, the reason we don't ask anymore is because we don't like to admit we don't know. Risky curiosity. A curiosity that doesn't care what anybody else thinks. See, we settle for incomplete answers. We settle for comfort. When's the last time you asked, why not? When's the last time you asked, why? Risky curiosity. Childlike wonder. The third thing, some of you all lose on this because it, it'll challenge you. So not only do we need to rediscover our all and the ability to ask questions, we need to rediscover a childlike wild abandon. Now, what does a childlike wild abandon mean? How do kids do things? They do it all out, 100%, right? They go with everything that they've got. Matter of fact, so much so that we spend a lot of our time when they're young teaching them to, to not do that, right? Don't do that. You shouldn't act that way. You don't need it because we're worried about their safety. But you see, when a kid sees something that they want to do, when they see something that interests them, they dive in. They have a passion. They're not worried about what everybody else thinks. And, and you, you see, we've lost that as Christians. That wild abandon that just says, God says, go, I'm going. God said he can do that. I love going overseas. Or you can talk to people that go overseas because they're out there doing things. And you say, why are you doing this? The Bible says so. And your first defense is, well, I need to teach them that that always doesn't happen that way. I mean, they're out there praying. You know, I remember one time I was in Brazil and these people were gathered out there. And I noticed they'd been there every day. And I'm talking a big group and they were out there on their faces. And I'm like, what are they out there doing? They're saying, they're praying for it to rain. We need rain. And I'm like, well, that's nice and good. But, you know, it'll rain when the weatherman says it'll rain. It'll rain. And and you want to say, well, they, they say, well, the Bible says to pray. Ask God. We're going to ask Him. You see, we've stopped doing that. We've convinced ourselves that we need to be controlled. and we need. God says, no, go for it. Wild debate. Listen, and this came to me this week. I was thinking, if I could illustrate where the church is and where Christians are, we have become the old man in the right-hand lane of life, shaking our fist at the people driving by us. You can't say amen, you can say ouch, okay? Ouch. That's who we are. We're the guy over there when people go crazy and go by or slow down. We don't do it that way. You're going too fast. You know, we hang five miles under the speed limit because we don't want to push anything. Where's the wild abandon that, that when God says for us to do something, we just take off and do it? We don't have to think through it. We don't have to examine it. We don't have to overanalyze it. We just say, okay, God said, go, I'm going. God said, do it, I'm doing it. See, what do we do to control and to inhibit kids' wild abandon? We set up rules. And they may not even be good rules. They're just rules to control how they act. Right? Remember one time I went into my kid's bedroom and Kayla was jumping on the bed, just going to town, having a great time. I put on my dad face and I said, son, you're not supposed to jump on the bed. I said, why not? Good question. I came up with a dad answer, right? You'll shoot your eye out. 
All right? You'll hurt yourself. You'll break an arm. You'll do something bad. You, you see, what happens is to, to get rid of, and I ended up jumping on the bed with him after that, after a while, because I thought, hey, I remember it was fun, okay? Uh, now I know it's not good for the bed, and I'm not saying we can't have rules. What I'm saying is we create so many rules to inhibit our kids for no good reason, just because it's convenient for us. Don't run in the house. You'll hurt yourself. We're not telling them don't run in the house. We're telling them that because they're getting on our nerves, right? And we do the same thing in church. We do the same thing spiritually. We create all these rules. Now, they're unspoken rules, but they're enforced just the same. It's not how you're supposed to act. That's not what you're supposed to do. That's not how you're supposed to think. And in doing that, we inhibit this wild abandon. That's why I love having the kids come in and sing. That's why I like having them over here. Because it makes people so uncomfortable. Because the kids are singing. Last week they were singing, and you know, one over here, and he's stomping his foot, and then he looks around, hey, what's over here, you know? And, and all of you grandmas out there were going, oh no, oh no, right? He's going to touch something. Okay. But see, we have these spiritual rules. When you're in big church, you keep your hands in your lap, and you don't yell, or you don't holler, you don't sing, right? And some of those are good. What they do is they inhibit our abandon. They inhibit our ability to trust God just to go. Remember what it was like when it was a kid and, and you were ready to go. I think of Mary and Martha when Jesus visited the house. Martha said, we got a visitor. i got to go do all this stuff. And Mary just went and laid at Jesus' feet. Martha's in there cooking and she's angry because Mary's not doing anything. Mary said, I don't care. I know the rules, but Jesus is here. So many of us miss what God is leading us to do because we're so worried about the rules. Listen, Jesus was a rule breaker. He didn't break rules just to break rules. He broke rules because the rules were keeping him and people for God doing ministry. He said, oh, you can't heal people on the Sabbath. He said, listen, God's more concerned with that person being healed than the day of the week it is. A wild abandon. If some of us just turned it up a little, we would be crazy. I mean, let's just be honest. And we just said, God, I want to be like that again. I want to be like that in my worship. I want to be like that in my prayer life. I want to be like that in witnessing and sharing the love of Jesus Christ. I want to get to the point where, you know, God and share his love. And I don't care what people think. I don't care what people do. I'm just going to go do it. Wild abandon. People that follow the rules give up a six-figure job to go to the mission field. People that follow the rules don't all of a sudden pack up their family and leave a, a safe place to go to a country that's hostile to Christians. People that follow the rules don't say, I'm going to give this up that, that is good for me because God's telling me to do something better. See, we've got to get back to where we're comfortable in the left-hand lane. Eugene Peterson in his book, Jesus is Moving, said this. The living Jesus is a problem for our religious institutions. He's a problem for our churches. Because there you are having a funeral, a nice, comfortable funeral, and the dead person started moving. There goes the funeral. There goes our comfort. But he says, guess what, dear brothers and sisters? Jesus is moving. And so I think that describes us so much. 
Describes how we live. Childlike wonder, curiosity, wild abandon. The last thing I think we need to rediscover this morning to become like a child to change is an irresponsible passion. What is an irresponsible passion? What is responsible passion? Responsible passion is is following straight through these things. You know, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to, but I'm passionate. You ever seen somebody like that? I really love this. Well, it shows, right? It shows all over you. You're excited. You ever known somebody like that, that they couldn't show their excitement and stuff? We need to get back. How do kids show their excitement? When a kid's excited about something, when they're passionate about something, how do they act? They go crazy, right? Let's be honest. They scream and they, yeah, yeah, you know, going at it. They give it everything they got. Where is that in Christians today? Where is the passion that doesn't have to be pushed in, it just comes out? Where is the living with an expectation, always excited? You see, kids are always expecting. They're always anticipating. That's why when they wake up, what are we doing today? Right? My kids did. Your kids did. What are we doing? Well, I thought we'd stay around the house. No, no, no. Let's go. Right? Because they expect and and they're anticipating and they're excited to get out and do something. I don't care whatever it is. You can make something up. Today, we're going to go build little mud forts. Yay, mud forts. Right? I'm not making it. You know what I'm talking about. And and I told you this before. Don't ever tell a kid you're going to do something or go somewhere until you're ready to leave the house, right? Don't say, hey, we're going to go to Disney World in six months because every day you will wake up. Are we going to Disney World today? When are we leaving, right? Because they're anticipating. You see, that is the kind of passion we need to have. You can't have too much passion. You can't be too excited. Remember when I was young in the ministry and preaching, I had this older lady come up and said, Son, you just preach with passion. She said, Too bad, you'll get older, that'll go away. And I thought, maybe, what was she saying? Maybe that's why I was scared of getting older. Because I think as we get older and we get in our routines, we do lose our passion. Because the extraordinary just becomes normal. See, a children's passion, it doesn't come from external things. It comes from inside. And one thing I've noticed is that kids are passionate usually about the things their parents are passionate about. You're passionate about it, your kids will be passionate about it. And that's the same thing spiritually. We need to be passionate about the things our Heavenly Father is passionate about. Let me ask you this morning. Would any of those terms be used to describe your Christian walk this week? Someone was having to describe your walk with Jesus. Would they use things like wonder, awe, curious, wild, irresponsible passion? If not, why not? Jesus said, the one who makes it, the one who is going to be there, is the one who changes and always keeps the mind of a child. Let me ask you again. Have you got stuck in a routine? Has the awesome become ordinary? If so, are you happy with that? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your truth, God. I thank you for the passion that you give us. God, forgive us as we feel like we're supposed to grow up and we equate growing up 
with, with becoming something you didn't call us to be. Father, we look around and we see those that we consider to be mature Christians and we try to act like them or be like them. And God, you didn't call us to that. You called us to have the passion and the abandon of a child. God, I pray that this morning, I, I know in a room this size, there's people that are in a rut. There's people that are, Father, they just going through the motions and church is just a part of that motion. Father, I pray that we would be anticipating, expecting, passionate about the things of God. Why can we get passionate about football or clothes or a house, but yet when we talk about what you've done for us, there's just no passion. God, let us pursue you with everything that we've got, a wild abandon, curious about the things that we don't understand, and always in wonder and awe that a Savior such as you would love us. God, let our churches rediscover a childlike faith, a childlike passion, Speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us? There's a peace I've come to know.